Church.
feel that regardless. That that hopelessness, like this Christmas is not going to be any better than last Christmas. Like, but you know, this Christmas is maybe it's going to be worse than last Christmas, or for whatever reasons. And so sometimes we we find ourselves in a in what we call this this state of of hopelessness and and, and bondage. And, and regardless of how we think we're going to get out of that, we eagerly await and groan inwardly to be released from that bondage. The people of Israel, before Jesus was born on that night that Christ arrived, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, they were in a, in a place of hopelessness and bondage. We, we talked last week about how at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, we see where God goes silent for 400 years. Although he was silent, he was very powerfully present, he was working, he was, he was doing things behind the scenes, but the prophets and the people of Israel were eagerly awaiting, they were, they were asking God, where is your voice, how come we can't hear you, why are you not speaking to us, although they, they didn't quite understand that he was actually very powerfully present with them doing a work that they could not yet see. But the people of Israel, because all the way from Genesis uh, through Malachi, so for hundreds of years, there had been promises spoken by the prophets of God saying that there is a, a Savior that is coming. There is a, a Christ who will be born. There is redemption that is coming. So just hold on and wait. If you can just wait just a little longer, if you can just hold on a little tighter, it's coming. The Christ is coming. The Messiah, the anointed one who is to come. That's what Messiah means. He is coming. And so they waited. The longer that they waited, the more hopeless that they felt. And so there was this whole religious system that had been set up by the religious leaders of the time where, uh, and, and it was really instituted by God in the beginning, where they would, they would take sacrifices and, and they would make a sacrifice to, to get redemption and, and repentance of, of sin. And so in order to, to be forgiven, the, the, the religious law said that you had to take a, a lamb or a, or a dove and it had to be, there were so many uh, rules and regulations to what it had to be and what it had to look like. You had to take it to the temple and the, and, and the priest would, uh, he would sacrifice that, that animal and that blood that would be spilled would be the redemption and the payment of, of sin. And it's a, little, it's a little more complicated than that, really. And so if you think about it, um, just in, in those terms, I mean, it, it's, it feels hopeless in a lot of ways. Because, see, here's the crazy thing, too. There were people that were not afforded the opportunity to get forgiveness for their sins. Because the religious people of the time said, you don't fit the bill. You don't have what it takes. You, you're unclean, so because you're unclean, you don't deserve forgiveness of sins. And so, not only was the whole nation really in a, in a state of hopelessness, because they were just groaning and, and, and waiting, and many of them were just saying, God, when are you going to end this? When, when are you going to show up and put this whole thing down so we don't have to do this anymore? And so they eagerly awaited and anticipated the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the one who is to come. And so, have you, have you ever anticipated something? 
Like, if you were just like really just, like you couldn't wait for it to happen, like you just couldn't wait for that, for that day to get there, maybe uh, for some of you it was, your, it was your wedding day, maybe for some of you, uh, like our, 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 our production uh, man back there, Jason Maschino, him and his wife, uh, Kristen, tomorrow, they're having their baby tomorrow, right? And so I asked Jason, I said, are you excited? I said, he's like, I'm about as ready as I'll ever be, I guess, you know, and so, and so, like, they're eagerly anticipating the arrival of this child, but have you ever just anticipated something, like, you just couldn't wait for it to get there? I love Christmas, and, and, and our family, we love, uh, you know, we love the eagerness and, and the anticipating of, of celebrating the birth of Christ and, and opening gifts and, and the lights and eggnog, all this eggnog, and like doing all, you know, doing that whole thing, like we, we love, we love that, but honestly, like, just outside of the birth of Christ and celebrating that part of things, that's not my favorite part of Christmas, and if you ask anybody in my family, they would probably say that that's not their favorite part of Christmas either. Our favorite part of Christmas is usually either right before Christmas or right after Christmas, because every year, uh, for really as long as I can remember, as long as my wife and I have been married, and, and now it's even got even better and better because we have kids. We go to uh, Gatlinburg for a couple of days, and we just take a couple of days, and we just kind of unwind and shut things off and, and just spend time with our family, and, and we always go to a hotel that has a has an indoor swimming pool because our, our kids love to swim. Now, when it was just my wife and I, we didn't, we didn't do that, but, but with the kids, like, they like going down the water slide and all that stuff, and it's great because it's indoors, and it's like really cold and snowy outside. It's really hot and sweaty inside, and so, you know, we can get in the pool and stuff, but like, we, we love that. Like, that's one of our favorite things to do, to go to Gatlinburg, and I know how, like, Redneck, that sounds, but we love that place, man. We love Fanny Farmer. Can I get an amen? Get one of those big, greasy corn dogs that's like three feet long, you know what I'm saying? Like one of those, I mean, get a I'm a stupid airbrush t shirt, you know, kind of thing. Like, we love that stuff. We like, I mean, we just, we just love it. It's, it's crazy, but, but we love it. So we, we anticipate that every year. Like, we can't wait to do that. And, and, so, and so I'm sure you have something that, that you have anticipated before. You just couldn't wait for that day to get there. You just couldn't wait for, for that thing to happen. Or maybe there's something in your life right now that you're anticipating. Some of you, if you're honest, are probably anticipating Christmas to be over because you know like what everything that happens with Christmas. You're just like, let's just kind of move through this and, and, and get this over with crazy uncles, crazy aunts, all that stuff. Let's just go. Let's move on. But we anticipate things. And we want them to get here as soon as possible. And so what do you anticipate? I think Scripture paints beautiful pictures of how we anticipate things. And, and, and really the uh, picture that Scripture paints for us about the, the first coming of Christ and, and the second coming of Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you need one, it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me. Or if you would like a free Bible, we have those out at Ridge Central for you. And we would love to give you one of those as a gift. But um, what are you anticipating? You know, I'm, another thing that I'm anticipating is, is our Christmas Eve Eve services. Actually, this year it's a little crazy because it's like Christmas Eve 
cubed in Christmas Eve Square, okay? It's because like we're doing a Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve service on the 22nd at 6 o'clock here. But by the way, pick up your tickets when you leave here. A little plug there. And then Christmas Eve Eve on December the 23rd here at 7 o'clock, and those tickets are out there. Or you can go online and, and register for tickets. Listen, the tickets are free. You're like, why do we need a ticket? You don't really need one. We just want to know like how many seats to put into this place and all that stuff. But we want you to have room for your friends and family. So uh, that's coming up on the 22nd and 23rd. Really excited about that. But check, check out what Paul writes here. In Ephesians 2, chapter 1, he paints a, a, a picture of hopelessness. And uh, there's some really, really weighty words in, in these first couple of verses here. Check this out Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verse 1, it says this And you, point to somebody and say, You. Go ahead, it's okay. You can point out, you're in church, sorry. And you, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In which you, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. When you pointed at somebody and said you, you didn't think that you were like, you know, making them guilty, did you? But you just did. Right. Check out what he says here, verse three. He says, "Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath." That's pretty strong. Like the rest of mankind. So stop right there because Paul, Paul paints a picture of hopelessness. He says, you. That means you, that means me, that means every single one of us. He says, and you were dead. Not like half alive, not like just barely kicking, but dead, flat line, that's it, there's no pulse. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Meaning, exactly what it says. No hope. No resuscitation. No coming back. Dead. In our sins. In our trespasses. So Paul paints a picture. He says there is this there is this place of hopelessness that every single one of us starts in. A place of hopelessness where every single one of us either have been or for some of us a place of hopelessness where we are. And so that first two words in Ephesians 2, 1, where he says, and you, that's condemning. That's finger pointing. That's an indictment upon every single one of us. And you. And so there's this picture of absolute utter hopelessness. I read a story not too long ago about a college, a former college football player. I think he was from Eastern Michigan. It's a really sad story. He uh, was obviously a very fit guy, very much in shape, but uh, he had um, went on a hunting trip and uh, was in the uh, just the, the, the woods of eastern Michigan somewhere. And uh, on this hunting trip, he, he ended up getting lost. And of course, it was, it was very cold outside. And so uh, as he got lost, he began to wander around and he became disoriented. And after several days, uh, they sent out a search team looking for uh, this young guy who was in his, his mid-20s, I think. And, um, and so they searched for days and days and days and days, and, and they just kept looking for him. And somewhere, I think maybe around 20-something days later, they, they found him. They found him. Of course, he, he, was, he was not alive when they found him. But the interesting thing was that they found him 
100 feet from the road that he needed to be on. He had wandered around in a very small circle. And even though days went by, they, they thought that, that he possibly survived for, for several days uh, out there. Uh, he, he was out without water. Um, and, and so, as, as you know, that uh, that's, that's bad. And, and so, as he wandered around, he, uh, he never made it to the road. And, and, and when they found him, he was literally, he, it looked like that he had uh, just kind of tried to make himself a small little shelter to stay warm in. And he was 100 feet from the road that he needed to be on that would have saved him. And so, for days, he, was, he felt hopeless. He felt this, this sense of hopelessness, like, when am I ever going to be found? When am I ever going to get out of here? Is somebody going to, to find me? Is somebody going to rescue me? But the whole time, he was, he was within feet, within mere feet of being rescued. The, the woods were very dense. And so it, it would get darker sooner than it would anywhere else. And so and this road was not a, it wasn't a road that anybody traveled on. So it wasn't like you could ever hear anybody going down this road. But they found him 100 feet from this road, just feet from where he needed to be. This is kind of like this, this, the state of hopelessness that the nation of Israel was in when, before Christ came. Because they were so close. They were so close. But yet... They felt so far away. They felt so far away. And this really is the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians 2 when he says, and you were dead in your trespasses. And so that right there, that alone just makes things feel completely hopeless. But within mere feet of us is hope. Flip over real quick to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Probably very familiar to most of us. It's the Christmas story. The birth of Christ. And remember, this place of hopelessness that the nation of Israel was in, they, they were waiting and, and yearning and groaning for, for the Messiah to, to finally show up hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, just, just waiting for this to happen. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, it's very important to understand because if you read in the Old Testament, you see that, especially Isaiah, Isaiah talks about how the Messiah would come from the, the line of David. And so this is yet another promise fulfilled that we see, another prophecy fulfilled from Scripture that Joseph, the father or the stepfather, really, of, of Jesus, right? He is from the line of David. And so this makes Jesus from the line of David. And so to be registered with Mary is betrothed, and so they, that means they were engaged, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The anticipation is finally coming to an end. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. 
which is really just a feeding trough for animals, because there was no place for them in the end. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Right. And behold, I mean, really? I mean, anyway. I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you, you write, circle, underline things in your Bible, circle that, you may say for you, very important. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that you, um, that you give us these words, that you give us these scriptures, God, to be able to have a peek and to see, uh, Father uh, your heart, God, and to be able to see, uh, God, how you uh, have given us a Savior and a Messiah, uh, God, to give us rescue and redemption of sin, uh, so that, God, from those moments, Lord, we will never be the same because we've encountered you. We've seen you, we've beheld you, God, we honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to give you three uh, really quick, significant things from these couple of passages of Scripture that we read that are really important as we look at a simple Christmas. Because as we talked about last week, Christmas can be really complicated. And so the goal of this series is really for us to just simplify Christmas, to, to simplify the, the chaos of Christmas and get down to really the essence of Christmas, which is the fact that Jesus came to be with you. That's it. We celebrate the birth of Christ, that's good, that's great. Jesus, he is the gift, but the essence of Christmas, the idea of Christmas, is the fact that Jesus entered into the mess of humanity, entered into this mess down here on earth, in human form, to be with us, to be near to the brokenhearted. And so, there's a couple of things that I just want to point out to you that, that are interesting here as we uh, take, a, take a look at this. But as David and Mary, be, or I mean, as as Joseph and Mary, as they began to, to come to Bethlehem, anticipating the birth of Jesus, the birth of their son, who they know will be the Son of God, but nobody else knows this yet, right? As they get there, they, they, they come to the inn, right, and there's, there's, there's what? There's no room, there's no room in the inn, right? My, my son likes to play this great game that my wife taught him how to play, and I don't know where this comes from, but like every now and then, like if we're all like just kind of hanging out on the couch, my son likes to push me off the couch and say, there's no room for Bobby. Yeah. And so he like puts his feet up, you know, and then I pick him up and throw him across the living room. It's awesome. Uh, but like, I mean, so there's no room, there's no room for Mary, there's no room for Joseph, there's no room for... Jesus in the end, right? So they, they stroll up to this place where they think, hey, my wife, my, my, look, she's about to have a baby. There's no room here. But we have a feeding trough downstairs that you're welcome to use if you would like. And so they enter into this uh, place where there are animals. Really, it's just a place where they bring some of the animals in at night because it's, you know, they, they, just, they would bring them in at night because they didn't want people stealing that kind of thing. So they bring them in at night and put them in there. And so Jesus is born in a manger, which is, and they lay him in, in, in this feeding trough where animals would eat. 
And it's significant because when you think about the, the place that Jesus is born, there was no room for him in the place where he should have been. There was no room, there was no place for him in the place where, where he should have been born. But really God set it up this way the whole time, I think. Because there's very, something very significant about the place where he was born. It was dirty, it was messy, it, it wasn't put together. There was nothing great about the way that it smelled. Anybody ever been in a barn before? I mean, you know, you know what it smells like in there, right? I mean, and, and so this is where the Savior of the world is placed. And it's very significant because it was exactly the way that God wanted it to be. Because it painted a picture of what Jesus was entering into. Not only entering into the world, but entering into when he comes into our lives. Because remember what Paul said. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. There's nothing beautiful about that. There's nothing pretty about it. There's nothing that smells good about it. Would any of us in here ever admit to not being jacked up individuals? Anybody? Anybody want to throw their, throw their hand up and say, say you know, I'm, I'm pretty perfect. I'm good. Nobody? Okay, I didn't think so. So, like, some of you thought about it, but your spouse has said no. So, like, Listen, every one of us, we're all in some ways, we're all kind of jacked up, aren't we? We're all kind of messed up in some ways. And that's what Christ enters into. He enters into that mess. Because if he would have entered into a perfect situation, if he would have entered into a place where there was room in an inn, where it was warm, where it was dry, where there were no animals, where it didn't stink, where it was not messy... Why would he have had to come? And so, he enters into this mess of humanity, into this feeding trough, this mess. And so you kind of, you, you, you have that picture. And then you have the shepherds. Look at, look at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. The, these shepherds, it was very interesting because these shepherds, they, they had these, uh, these sheep out in the fields at night. Now, typically, again, you would bring most of the livestock in. But it's very interesting that the shepherds were still in the fields at night and that they were with these lambs. And, and here's why. They were with these lambs because these lambs were very important lambs. These lambs were most likely the, the very lambs that the temple would use for the sacrifice. And so, because sometimes it would be two, maybe three, maybe four sacrifices a day, a, a day at, and at night. I mean, these, these lambs, these sheep had to be available at all times, and so there needed to be shepherds with them. And, and the reason why these sheets could not be brought in is because these sheets had to be kept separate because they couldn't intermingle with any of the other livestock. Because they had to be perfect. They had to be spotless. There couldn't be anything wrong with them in order to be used for the sacrifice. And so the shepherds would stay out in the fields with them, keep them separate from the other animals. And these would be the lambs that were used. And think about these shepherds. They didn't get to come in and take showers. They didn't get to come in and sit down and 
have a T-bone. They didn't get to come in and, and take their shoes off for a while and, and just relax for a little bit. They were on the job 24-7, all the time. Have you ever had a bad job? Anybody ever had a bad job? Come on, be honest. You had a bad job? I had a bad job. I worked at this grocery store one time. I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but I worked at this grocery store one time, and it was horrible. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I mean, it was, it, it was a, for so many reasons, it was a bad, bad job. But the shepherds, they got a bad job. Like, my job is nothing compared to, to what they have. I mean, they smell. They stink. Stunk. Stink. And all of that. So it was really, really bad. And so because of all of these things, the shepherds were considered to be unclean. And so do you know, ironically enough, who was not allowed to come into the temple to have a sacrifice made for the redemption of their sins? The shepherds. So if you want to talk about a place of hopelessness, let's talk about the shepherds. Hopeless. The religious leaders would look at them and say, hey, we know that you're doing a very important job. We know that you're actually protecting and taking care of, of, of the sacrificial lambs, but guess what? Sorry, no redemption for you. You're not allowed into the temple because you are unclean. But thanks for taking care of the lambs for everybody else. And so, isn't it interesting that the angels show up to the shepherds first. The angels don't show up in the temple to the religious leaders and the priests and say, hey, Jesus is here, the Messiah has come. They, they, they don't show up there first, they show up to the most hopeless. To the ones who need redemption the most. To the ones who needed Christ and the Messiah to arrive quickest. The shepherds. And so when the angels arrive and tell the shepherds that Jesus has came. That's why verse 11 is so important. For unto you. The angels didn't say for, for everybody else. Oh, hey, by the way, just wanted to tell you. Hey, Jesus is here and he has come to give redemption to everybody else but you guys. But just wanted to let you know. Just a little memo. No, he said, for unto you, for you, for you, the most hopeless, the most needy, the ones who needed Christ the most. A Savior has come. And then verse, verse 12, it, said, it says this, and, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. But verse 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Okay, now it's really gotten scary. Praising God and saying, glory to the God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known. And they went with haste. They didn't put the sheep up. They didn't put the lambs up. 
They left them in the fields. Why did they leave them in the fields? Because they didn't need them anymore. They didn't have to have them anymore. They were no longer needed. And so some of the first people to lay their eyes on Christ were the most hopeless, the shepherds. Because it came for them. Which is also for you. It's for you. Because each one of us, each one of us has been the shepherd. We've been the shepherd where we have been in that place of hopelessness. And Christ came for you. For you. For unto you a Savior has been born. So that you no longer have to be hopeless. So you no longer have to feel the weight of not being able to repent of sin. You know that you can repent of sin any moment at any time of any day. Like you don't even need to show up here on a Sunday to do that. This is our time. When we come here on Sunday, this is our time to, uh, to proclaim and exclaim the glory of the Lord together. This is not our time to come and, and really get our, our weekly fill and hope that it lasts maybe through Wednesday this week instead of Tuesday. This is our time to, to come and to, to just really exalt the Lord through our worship and through prayer and through Scripture. And maybe, just maybe, we take a little something with us that we can hold on to throughout the week. That we can go back to on Wednesday when things start to feel a little crazy, when things start to get a little maddening on Thursday, that we can go back to Luke 8, or Luke 2, 11, and say, for unto you, and you say, for unto me, a Savior has been born. You don't have to turn there, but unless you just want to, but to finish out what Paul said, just wrap this whole thing up, Ephesians 2, 4. Paul paints this picture of hopelessness. We see a picture of hopelessness with the shepherds, but listen to what Paul says. My favorite verse in all of Scripture. Two of the greatest words ever written. Verse 4. But God. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and you were hopeless. But God, being rich in mercy, because... Of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what's the word, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. Paul says you don't have to be hopeless anymore. That hope has come. That redemption is here. Savior has been born unto you from which he gave his life so that there would have not have to be any further sacrifices, so that there would not have to be any further payment of debt or sin that it has been paid. And so for unto you, for unto me, for unto us, a Savior has been born to rescue us out of hopelessness. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. 
And see, and that's why I love the, the, the Christmas story so much, is because Jesus came for us, and he entered into the best. Like, Jesus didn't arrive, like, he didn't wait, like, <laughs> Jesus, didn't, Jesus didn't send a memo to Mary and be like, hey, hold on, the, the inn is full, like, before I get on out of here, like, um, we're going to need a warmer place. I ain't coming to no trouble. Like, you're gonna have to tell those people. You're gonna have to tell them to get stuff cleaned up around here because this is not what I signed up for. I saw what happened. He came into the mess. There was no room for Christ in the end. Let me ask you: Is there room with you? Is there room with you? You ever get that state of panic? It's probably mostly women than it is men, but, but women, ladies, most of it. Like, you ever get into that state of panic when, you know, your husband calls you and says, Hey, I'm on my way home and such and such is coming over in just a little bit. You, you, ever, you ever find yourself in that place of panic because you're like, Oh no, the house is a wreck. It's a mess. And you want who to come over? Am I fixing dinner? I mean, what's going on here? Like, like, why did you do that to me? I'm going to kill you, right? I mean, that's the conversation. That's how that goes, right? But the whole time, husbands were on the phone and that person's standing right next to us, right? <laughs> and we're just like, it's, it's, yeah, baby, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. You know? And she's like, I'm going to kill you. And then you walk in the door and she's like, hey! Can I see you in the bedroom for a minute? <laughs> See, Jesus doesn't, I mean, Jesus just shows up, right? He doesn't even care that your bathroom's a mess. He doesn't even care care that you got toys laying all over the place because your kids just had a Toys R Us party, right? I mean, like, he doesn't care. He's coming into the mess. But is there room? Are you one of those people who says, you know what? You know, before... God, before I really get too close, before I really get too tight with you, before, before I really let you into this part of my life, like I really want to just kind of get things cleaned up first. I really just kind of, I want to quit doing that thing. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to quit being that jerk. And I, I, I really, I, want to, I just want to quit doing a few things. Like if I could just get a few things just kind of straightened up first, well, well then everything will be ready. Everything will be right. It'll be a nice place. It'll be warm. Like you, you can enter into this place. Says that's not the way that works. Coming into the mess. Coming to the most hopeless. I'm coming into the places where you may not necessarily feel very comfortable with comfortable with me being there, but that's where I'm going. Because that's where I'm gonna be. So as we sing this morning, as we close and leave here this morning. I just want you to wrestle with that question. Is there room? Is there room? Uh, I just want to help you out here. The answer to that question is yes, there is room. There is always room. No matter how messy, no matter how jacked up, no matter no matter what, there is room. I'll stand.